0: good morning church. It's um it is so nice to be here. Let me just put um oh my drink bottle down. Forward facing baby. Yeah, it keeps things cold for 24 hours. Oh, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. <laughs> um my name is Rihanna. Everyone calls me Ree. Please feel welcome to um I have already been so um filled with joy to be in church this morning. I love that we are a congregation full of real people talking about real things. It's an honour to have Beachy do an Acknowledgement of Country this morning. It is an honour to hear Deej talk about things like functional alcoholism. It's so nice to be in the company of people who don't shy away from real things and rock up on a Sunday and pretend everything's peachy and wonderful in the house of the Lord. We're real people living in the real worlds. We're... Um, you know the scriptures say that this is a time where darkness reigns, and it is so wonderful to be able to revere the light of the world, and that is Jesus. This morning, so I am um, continuing our series. Um, We've been talking about Abraham, who is like the genesis of our faith, and um, he's really Abraham's really kind of like he's known as the father of faith. And um, the question that I was kind of given to answer this morning is whether um, we are children of Abraham or whether Abraham is really our father and that doesn't necessarily mean in the physical or political sense or whatever like that because even as I read that like is Abraham all of our fathers I, f- I was laying next to Jack in bed and I looked at him and I was like just the thought of like descending from one person made me be like ooh. but we're talking about being a spiritual child of Abraham anyway I didn't mean to open a bigger um, conversation than <laughs> maybe needs to <laughs> um but so the promises that God gave, gave Abraham was really kind of like the first time in the Scriptures that we were invited into the story or invited into the promises. And um, we had dinner last night with the Beaches and they said, Lozzie was just like, I don't know, it just came up naturally. And she was like, you know, I love how Abraham is the father of faith, but he's just got like such humanness about him. You read his stories and you kind of like, you can relate to him. You can understand him. He's not this like... Um, one shining light of pillar of how to be a human but he has faith but he also has just like mistakes, humanness like Pam talked about last week he takes things into his own control which some of us might um, still be challenged by from last week because I know I am and Jack and I have had many conversations about the message last week being like this is you taking into never never self-reflective always like about the other being like this is you taking this into your own control not living faithfully and we're like oh so It's a goer. Um, But we're picking out the story um, in Genesis 17, which is 13 years after he made that decision to take things into his own control by um, sleeping with his wife's servant to try and get this promise of God moving, that he would have a son, that he would be the father of many nations, all of these kinds of things. So this is 13 years later, which I feel like would still be really playing with the dynamics in their relationship. Like, You have a 13-year-old son with another woman. You're still trying to make your marriage work. You're 99 years old. It's a lot. But in Genesis 17 verse 4, um, God comes back to Abraham with um, the, like this is the third time he's talked to him about a covenant or a promise or a partnership between him and Abraham. And he says this, God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, your name will be Abraham. For I will for I have made you our father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful, I will make nations of you, and kings will come of you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me And you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be their God. And so you can see this repetition here, this kind of like emphasis on the real descendant side of things. And that is like God talking about his part of the promise, that he's given this beautiful blessing to Abraham to multiply him, to make him fruitful, to make him, um, it's almost like God's redemption plan that they would um, be able to restore humans and his people into like um, how God originally designed them for the garden. But so he talks about God's side of the partnership, and then he goes on to talk about Abraham's side of the partnership so just like a marriage or just like an agreement there are two sides to the partnership in which both parties agree and so um, God starts this the same way as the first part and he says this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you the covenant you are to keep he says every male among you shall be circumcised you are you shall be circumcised and that will be the cut that will be the sign of the covenant between me and you For all the generations to come, every male will be circumcised, including those who are born into your household and those who are bought in your household, those who are not your offspring. So whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people and he has broken my covenant. And, I mean, you can see all of the repetition here. And I think it's easy to kind of like, um, it's like when you listen to a podcast and then you find yourself distracting and you haven't actually heard what is has been said to you for the last 15 minutes. I think that it's easy to read these kind of scriptures in the Old Testament and be like, Wait, what is actually just happening? But what we need to understand is that this is God. He said, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want you to do. I'm going to bless you and keep you and redeem you and restore you. You are going to live blameless before me and be circumcised. Every man in your family will be circumcised pretty much. And then God also continues. So we've got a chunk of scripture here. So just bear with me. And so God also says to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, don't call her that anymore. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and surely give you a son by her. Remember Abraham is 99 years old here. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. And Abraham fell face down and he laughed and said to himself, and I've read a few like articles being like trying to preserve like Abraham's faithfulness here. But other like um, commentaries kind of say, it's impossible to read this in another way other than Abraham was like laughing with doubt kind of thing. And he says, He fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, Maybe just Ishmael, who's his 13-year-old son, will live under your blessing. And God said, yes, he will, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant that we've just talked about um, with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you and I will surely bless him, make him fruitful and he'll increase in numbers as well. But my covenant that I will establish with Isaac, who Sarah will bear to you by this time next year, when he has when he had finished speaking with abraham god went up from him and then on that day abraham and all of his immediate descendants which was ishmael and all of those born into his household or bought with his money were circumcised and so this was the start of that covenant. And I have read that passage so many times this week and in the lead up to this message. And I really just thought, I was so challenged. I was like, I don't want to read that whole thing out. I just want to like paraphrase it. It's like kind of really wordy, very repetitive. And I just could not shake from my spirit that people in this congregation and in our Northeast community need to hear that, like, Abraham had the same thing repeated to him over and over and over again. Like the word descendants alone in that paragraph was said six or seven times in some translations. And I feel like that is so many to hear over and over and over again. And yet still Abraham responds with, surely I won't have any descendants. And that is what it's like you read it and it's like God is making that point. The covenant will be available to you and your descendants and the generations after them and the ones after them. And still Abraham is like, pfft. I'm not going to have descendants. There's not going to be generations. It's like he's missing the whole point. And I feel like Um, For us, it can be so easy to hear the same things every day, every week at church, through worship, through the Scriptures, through your devotions, through sermons, that it's like you hear every day that you're loved, you hear every day that God's good, He's faithful, He's trustworthy, but we don't have the faith to activate, to bridge that gap between hearing it and believing it. And when we are included in this promise, that um, was given to Abraham and every descendant, I feel like that is the that is the gap to bridge and don't shy away from things that are spoken to you and discount yourself but every time that you said that you'll that or you hear that you're loved and forgiven and called to be strong and courageous we might want to give God the like easy out like he did with Ishmael be like don't worry about having another kid it's like too hard basket too impossible basket maybe just like bless bless Ishmael and it'll be like the same kind of brand you know but um, I have been praying this over our congregation this week that um, there's this passage in scripture that I can't shake and it is in Mark 9:24, 24 where a man cries out to Jesus and he says, I do believe but help me overcome my belief. And this isn't like the main crux of this message, but I just feel like for someone in here who has heard the same thing over the last few months or or years, or maybe their whole life in church, but have refrained from actually believing it, you can cry out to God that He would help your unbelief. And that's not something that you have to shy away from. That's not something that makes your um, faithfulness like um, impure or fake or anything like that. But you can cry out and say, I do believe, but help me to overcome my belief. When you don't feel strong and courageous, speak that out over yourself. When you don't feel like you're worth loving, speak that out over yourself. When you feel like you're not worth or you've done something that would discount you from forgiveness, speak that out over yourself. That... um, God's love is so relentless and persistent that he will repeat himself over and over and over and over again until you receive the promises that he's saying. And so that's a bit of a digress, but we go on. Um, And so... We see for the rest of the book of Genesis, and actually kind of like the entire Bible, we see this covenant, in, this covenant in action. And for the rest of the book of Genesis, we actually see this kind of like recurring rhythms of it outworking in the next like three generations of Abraham. And so the covenant, this like beautiful blessing that was designed to redeem and bless and multiply God's people and restore them back to that state of the garden, And we see them repeatedly um, struggle with like their humanness to hold up their end of the partnership, to live blameless before God. We see Abraham sleep with um, Hagar. We see Isaac favour one son over the other. We see Jacob's 12 sons sell his brother. But, and then the book of Genesis actually like, it's like these stories of like, God is great and will redeem you. The humans kind of like mess it all up, but God redeems them humans mess up and I feel like I mean we can all relate to that being the cycle of our own life especially if we are um, have been Christians for a while we can see that rhythm in our own life but the book of Genesis is like perfectly closed and summed up by Joseph when he says you intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives and that is actually a pretty accurate depiction of how God's love plays out. And that's echoed in Ephesians where the scriptures say that God will work all things together for good for those who love him. And then, so this is the kind of like, so we've got the promise, humans can't stay in their lane, whatever, we're dealing with that. And then a few generations later comes Moses, who is Abraham's great, 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 great grandson, And so he's still in the direct family, the direct line of Abraham. And even though Abraham's family is living in redemption and freedom and has been like taken out of slavery, um, just like any kind of like people or a society to kind of operate, they need rules and laws to operate within. And so I kind of believe that Moses coming and getting the law from God is almost like the origin story of objective morality or like this inherent knowledge of what is good and not good um, in humans. You know, we don't need somebody to teach us that murder is, like, inherently bad because I believe that that is kind of objectively within us in morality. Again, a bigger conversation that I'm not opening up. Um, But so the laws here, four generations after Abraham were given to Moses, including um, the Ten Commandments, social laws, moral laws, food laws, purity laws, instructions around priesthood, feasting, the tabernacle offerings, um, sacrifices, and it kind of suddenly makes this whole like living within this beautiful blessing. It kind of makes it a bit more complicated, and that is even further affirmed in James uh, chapter two verse 10, so in the New Testament. The scripture says, for whoever keeps the whole law, all of those things I mentioned, and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. And so I feel like, you know, we're all all good with the murdering part. Won't do that. Honouring our mother and father, we can do that. But we stumble at one little thing amongst this entire law. And we might as well just do the whole lot because we're guilty of breaking it all. And that is... One thing that our society does a great job of is minimizing the consequence of sin. And it's not that bad. It's not one of the bad sin. But here we see that if you're guilty of breaking one, you're guilty of breaking it all. There is no hierarchy of sin under the law and under the promise of Abraham. And so what, one thing that these laws really did was to show how much we lack as morally sound humans, and how much we actually need more than rules, more than boundaries, more than maybe just a promise to kind of keep us within, um, within the promise. And so does this mean that when we don't keep the entire law, we're excluded from that promise of Abraham, that God would be with us and he would redeem us and he would restore us, he would heal us and he would see us? I feel like um, Galatians 3 actually answers this way better than I could. It's the scripture after all. And um, in fact, like you could just read Galatians 3 and have like a more concise sermon than I'm even giving because it's the same kind of thing that just like summarizes this like really complex part of the Old Testament and puts it into an understandable language. But so we'll pick up in Galatians 3 verse 17 and it says... "Mm." The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God, and this just does away from the promise. So that's to say that the law wasn't invented just to, like, discard the promise or exist as precedence. Um, For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends, depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. In verse 19 it says, Why then was the law given at all if the promise just continues to exist? It was added because of the transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Did I read just that a mixture of words in order to send? It says, Why then was the Lord given at all? It was added because of the of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. And so pretty much what that means, even though Feel like I could say it nine times and it all make sense. It means that we so we don't destroy ourselves before the Messiah would actually come and this seed that the promise talks about would actually come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. That's Moses, and so the law has acted as our kind of like guardian until Christ. That's the Messiah. That's the seed came that we might be justified by faith, and that is the law. Um, added to the promise but faith adds to the law and so we're no longer justified by works we're justified by faith and then in verse 26 it says so in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile neither slave nor free nor is there male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And I think that all this summed up to say the laws matter. The promise given to Abraham was the um, very start and the very first invitation for us to come in and actually think, Oh my gosh, God has actually like given us something, given us hope, given us promise, given us words to hold on to. Um, And he's really the starting place for our faith. But Jesus, it says in Hebrews, is the perfecter of our faith. And in that same chapter of Galatians, in um, Galatians 3, 13 to 14, this is in the Passion Translation, it says, Christ paid the full price to set us free from the curse of the law. He absorbed the curse completely as he became a curse in our place. For it's written, everyone who, who is hung up on a tree is cursed. And so this curse of us living this rhythm of stuffing up and having to be redeemed and stuffing up and having to be redeemed and um, sacrificing animals, cutting our flesh, all of these things is, is the curse that we live in that started all the way back in the garden. But it is written here that Christ has paid that full price. So no more sacrifices, no more cutting of our own flesh, but instead He became the curse so that we could be set free. Jesus Christ dissolved the curse from our lives so that in him, all the blessings of Abraham can be poured out upon Gentiles. And now through faith, we receive the promised Holy Spirit who lives in us. And so through this entire complicated, incredible spirit-breathed narrative of the Bible, we see promise, we see law, and eventually we see the fulfilment of everything through Jesus. And what do we need to do to unlock it? We don't need to trace our bloodline back to Abraham. We don't need to tick every box for the laws that Moses gave, make sure we're adhering to the purity laws, the food laws, the sacrifice laws. All we need to do is see what Jesus has done and take his promises that are repeated over and over and over in the New Testament and take them to be um, personally written to us. And that um, is the kind of revelation that unlocks the New Testament as a love story written specifically for you. And if the band would come up, I'm pretty much done. Um, I feel so strongly to speak to um, just the power of having faith In what we don't see, the scriptures say that that faith is the assurance of things that we don't see, and in that there is such power that we would be a people marked by faith in God, and and those who hear the word of God. And I want to speak specifically to those people um, in here today that feel like they're on a precipice in their life, or the threshold of a new season, or. like they're just holding on to the last heather before they really have to release and lean into that uncertain ground where you are forced to trust God. And my encouragement to you is that there is a promise that was written beyond your ancestors. There is a God who knew you before you were um, in the womb of your mother, that you would have a plan and a purpose over your life, a calling that would be um, beyond anything you could expect Imagine or even ask, and you have a God who repeatedly shows that He is so faithful, He is so kind, His heart is to redeem you, to restore you into relationship with Him. And as we walk into difficult seasons, or we walk into what the Bible calls um, the valleys of the shadow of death, that we would know that we have a God with us, that we would never be alone. We have a spirit, our Holy Spirit with us, in us, through us, that promises to guide us, to comfort us, to encourage us, to push us back on the path that would lead us um, to our calling. And so um, as we go back into worship, worship of a God who is so worthy of it, one that is always there for us, even when we have our backs turned to them. Let me pray for you as you enter a new season, that you would walk with the strength and courage that marks God peoples since the time of Abraham. One that would be um, just like the legacy of North Lakes, that we would be people who walk boldly with faith, with confidence, with assurance and with joy that surpasses our circumstance and peace that would surpass um, all understanding. So God, we are so thankful that we read the story of Your redemption over and over and over again, that we hear testimonies like that of Ian's, that we see Your redemption where chains would be broken, would be left in the past, God, and that You promise that the best is always yet to come, that the promotion of glory is our final prize, God, and up until then, You promise us joy in all circumstances. I pray for those in in the building today, Lord, that are facing a choice where they cannot feel like they are worthy. They do not feel like they are brave. They do not feel like they can do it. I pray that you just release those chains of fear, those chains of apprehension, and instead you just flood them with strength and courage and boldness that would come from a family legacy of Abraham Lord that if He is our Father of faith, then all we need to do is step out in faith and be obedient, God. I pray that they would just have something on their heart that is like at the forefront and everything else is out of focus, that they would just see that one circumstance and say, okay, God, I'm gonna take You on for that. I'm gonna say, yes, I'm gonna step out. I'm gonna cancel what the circumstances look like, cancel what makes sense. And instead, I'm gonna trust You. I'm gonna receive Your blessings that You would multiply me that You would bless me, that You would keep me, that You would protect me. And beyond what we can see with our eyes, Lord, I pray for a freshness of faith in our vision, Lord, that we would move forward as individuals, we would move forward as a church, we would encourage each other as a community and we wouldn't shy away from things that are hard. Instead, God, You would just break chains across the room this morning. You would cancel old expectations, You would cancel generational trauma and You would help us to move in the promise of Your future, Lord. You would help us to live a life worthy of our calling and completely devoted to Jesus and led wholly by Your Holy Spirit. We love You, Lord, and we revere You this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen.